All right. Good morning, Christchurch. Good to be with you this morning. Good morning to all of you following along online and all of you in the upper room as well. I'm Pastor Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are deep into a series called I Want to Believe But. And we've been looking at these Christian cultural caricatures, these aspects or replacements, really, of the God that we know and profess in our Christian faith. Sometimes we get confused and we end up perceiving or seeing God according to cultural norms or cultural expectations or lenses outside of our Christian faith. And we begin to see God or understand God to be someone and something different than what we as a Christian people believe, we as a Christian people hold to within the scriptures. And so we've been looking at and examining what are some of these impressions of God that people have out in the world. That when you go out and you have conversations and coffee with colleagues and friends, as you're in conversation with people, what kind of God do people believe is out there? And hopefully through these weeks, you've been equipped and empowered to enter into those conversations and help educate and reorient people and hopefully share your understanding of who God truly is. That's what we've been doing. And this week is no different. We are going to be examining specifically uh, the heartless God. We've done a couple others. We did on-demand God in the beginning. The week after that was, anyone remember? Okay, I preached that week. (laughs) Feeling really good right now as we start the sermon. So the one that you're all going to go back and review, uh, Killjoy God. God is all about the rules. God is like all about rules. You guys remember that one? And then we did Goosebump God. Remember uh, Pastor Bob and his blankie and, and some of those type of things? Um, this week we're examining arguably one of the hardest and most common, one of the hardest and most common uh, caricatures of God, and that is a heartless God, a God who appears to be unmoving, uncaring, uninterested in your life and in the lives of those around you, specifically... As you experience hurt, pain, suffering, a God who is looking at the world and is heartless, not intervening, we're going to examine that God this morning. And uh, the the texting uh, introduction finished with a really great question, why would I pray to a God who would let this happen. And I don't know whatever this is in your life. We can look on the news and see there's a lot of hurt and suffering on the news. Fair enough to say, just in general, even if you yourself are not experiencing something personal, you have or currently are in conversation with others who are hurting. Or at the very least, you might be aware of some of the realities of our world The news that share things, that make it evident, man, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of hurt out in this world. There are marriages on the brink of dissolving. There are children who are being abused and hurt and neglected. There are relationships and friendships that are fractured and pulling apart. There is violence. There is a lot of hurt in our world as part of the human reality. And what happens is when we begin to think about God and look at God in light of our personal hurt or the hurt of those around us, when we look at God only through the lens of our pain and our suffering, our hurts, our addictions, our hang-ups, 
we can sometimes slip into seeing God as a heartless God. We begin to say things like, God caused the hurt. God is behind the hurt. He's the reason for the hurt. Or at the very least, even if he didn't cause it, he ignores the hurt because he didn't intervene. He didn't snap his fingers and wave a magical wand and make it go away. He didn't stop the car crash. He didn't stop that shooting. He didn't stop that painful memory that I have as a part of my story and my life. And so we look at our lives and we look at our world and we look at the hurt And then we look at God and say, God, you must be heartless. And if you ever are in that position, if you are in that moment right now, perhaps you know someone who is in that moment, in that position. Undoubtedly, the question that I hear more often than not when someone starts to be tempted to see God as this heartless God is they are saying, why? Why? Why did this happen? Why did you let this happen? Why, God? Why the pain? More often than not, we're looking for some sort of purpose, some sort of meaning, some sort of justification that whatever we're experiencing or have experienced, there's got to be a reason behind it. There's got to be a purpose behind it. So we say, why? And we ask our Christian friends, why? We ask our non-Christian friends why. You as a Christian probably get that question, why? And it is one of the hardest, most challenging questions to respond to. I get this question a lot. Why? Part of the, the, call it occupational hazard. Why? Why did God let this happen or why did God do this? I find that as people ask me this question, I usually hear or have experienced a couple different types of responses that we give. This is such an awkward question, is it not? Have you ever been asked this question? Why? Why did God let this happen? You ever get that before? It's one of the most awkward, difficult, challenging questions to be thrown in your face, and you just kind of trip over your own lips, right? Because the significance of the hurt is so significant, you desire that your response would be significant and meaningful. But more often, what happens is people fall into three types of responses. The first one is a cultural Christianity quip. You guys do this? Have you done this? Has someone said this to you? This is what happens. When someone who is well-meaning and well-intentioned says to someone who just lost their father, their mother, their brother, their sister, their daughter, their son to death, and they say something like, well, God just needed another angel in heaven. They were just the most beautiful rose on the planet, and God just had to pick that rose because he wanted to smell it for himself. You guys hear that before? Bump into that? If this is you, if you're tempted by this, 
please stop. Please don't say those things. I know your heart is good. I know you are well-meaning. I know that it's awkward to be in that position and not know what to say. What do you say to someone who has such significant pain? Our fallback is hearing these hallmark quips that we heard on some TV show. Please don't say them. Because the irony is all you're doing is reinforcing the heartless God. That God, some reason, decided to, to pick on this person and reach down and rip something they care about out of their life. Someone they love, that God saw fit to, to, to take that from them. That death didn't have anything to do with it, but God is responsible. And all you do is you reinforce this idea that God is heartless and uncaring. And he's the one behind all the pain and the suffering that this person is experiencing. If your temptation is to lean into a cultural Christianity quip, please take a deep breath instead. And don't. Some of you might struggle with the second response. This is the one that personally I struggle with. And that's to be an apologetist, a theologian, to defend God as if God needed to be defended. Well, you see, according to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 3, we can see clearly that the curse was introduced. And as a result of the curse, then we had sin and darkness and death was introduced. And as a result of that, then you have these things, these basic, basic principles that we have in life. And that when you begin to go and examine those basic principles, these biblical principles like you reap what you sow and things like that, then it makes sense that people... You try to rationalize and logically explain to someone why they hurt. You ever done that? Maybe you've had someone try to do that to you. If this is you, I know you are well-meaning. I know you are well-intentioned. But take a deep breath and please do not lean into this. Not now. There is a place for apologetics. There is a place for theology. There is a place to proclaim a truth and to take people deep into the Scriptures and to share with them. What, what you may be saying as a theologian, as an apologetist, what you might be saying as a Christian trying to defend God and defend your faith might even be accurate and true according to our faith. But just because it is true and accurate according to our tradition, according to our faith, according to the Scriptures, doesn't mean the other person is in a place where they can hear you. They may not be ready or available to hear that truth. That might not be the truth they need. In that moment, when they're experiencing pain, they don't necessarily need you to lay out a treatise defending our faith. So be careful. There's a time and a place for that. But be careful. Because what you can do inadvertently is reinforce the heartless God. 
Honestly, the, 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 the response that I find most helpful and that I use more often than not when someone says, why, is the last one. The one I bolded. That's my response more often than not. I don't know. Why did this happen in my life? Why did this happen in the life of my friend or my family member? Why did this happen on the news? I don't know. You see, I recognize that as a person and as a pastor, more specifically, just simply as a Christian, as a human, my understanding is limited. I ain't got all the answers, y'all. I don't know everything. I don't. I'm messy, I'm broken, I'm human. I got my own issues. And I recognize that my limitation is real. And I don't have all the answers in every situation such that I can produce them. When someone says, why did God let this happen? I lean into scripture that simply says, man, that answer is above my pay grade. That, that's, that's beyond me. That's above me. That's why God is God and I am not. Scriptures would affirm this. Check it out in Isaiah. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you could even imagine. Things that you can't even conceive or understand. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I don't have all the answers, and it's a good thing that I don't. God does. Check it out in Romans, another place where the scriptures talk about it. how great are God's riches, wisdom, and knowledge. How impossible is it for us to understand his decisions and ways? I, I can't tell you all the finer details of why God did or did not intervene. I can't tell you why God did, worked a miracle here and didn't work a miracle there. I don't know. But you know what? Who am I to know God's thoughts? Who am I to even give advice to God? When people ask you the question of why did this happen in my life? Saying I don't know is an okay response. In fact, it's often the best one. Because what it does is it acknowledges that we are finite and our faith is not in our understanding. Our faith is not in our ability. Our faith is not in ourselves, but in a God who is bigger, greater, wiser, more understanding than ourselves. And I, I don't want to spend time on what I don't know. I'll be honest with you. It is not worth wasting your breath trying to explain to someone who is hurting something that you don't even know. Why would you bother? Why would you bother? Because there is something you do know. Don't waste time reinforcing the image of a heartless God. Trying, about, trying to talk about things you don't know or understand fully. When you have the opportunity, you have the chance, the moment, 
to talk about and preach about someone you do know. You do know Jesus. And that's what they actually need. That's who they really need. If you're sitting with someone and their life is falling apart, they don't need you to go off on all these other directions. What they need is for you to step forward and say, I don't know, but what I do know is Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about Him. Let me tell you about what He has done. Let me tell you about what He's done in my life and in the lives of others. Let me tell you not about a heartless God, but a selfless, helpful, desperate God who wants to draw close to you in your pain. Don't waste time on what you don't know. Talk about what you do know. And as a Christian, you know Jesus and His grace, His compassion and love. This issue of getting confused and worshiping heartless gods, killjoy gods, and on-demand gods, this is not new. In fact, God Himself experienced this in such a way that He looked at the world and He said, boy, there's a lot of confusion about who I am. People think that I'm doing this and they think that I'm doing that and they've lost sight of who I really am. So I'm going to clear up the confusion personally. I'm going to come down personally And make sure everybody knows exactly who I am. And he does that in the person of Jesus Christ. Christ clears up confusion about who God is. The scriptures say it like this in John 14. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. This is Jesus talking. If you look at me, Jesus says, you're seeing God. The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me and does his work through me. Just believe that I'm in the Father, the Father is in me. So if you want to know who God is, if you want to know who the Father is, look at me, Jesus says. If you think God is like this, and you think God is like that, and you think and hear in conversations that God must be doing this, or that God must be behind that, Jesus says, whoa, hold on a minute. If you want to know who God is, look at me. Look at me, Jesus says, and you will see and know and understand the exact imprint, desires, character, and heart of our Heavenly Father, God. Jesus came in person to clear up all the confusion and say, look at me. When we look at Jesus... We do see some things. We don't see a heartless God anymore. I mean, you read your Bible. Jesus is one cool dude, isn't he? He's like a nice guy. Scriptures would say that Jesus cares for people. He's not uncaring, unmoving. He's not looking at the world and keeping it at hand's length. Jesus goes down and spends time with people because he cares about people. Jesus cares about hurting people. Jesus is looking out at the crowds. He had compassion on them. Because they were confused. They were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. 
He's looking at the world and he's seeing all the pain and the hurt, the abuse, the neglect, the broken and fractured relationships, the lies, the treachery, the tragedy. And he says, I care about the lives that these people are leading. And I'm going to get involved in their lives. He saw the crowds. He saw you. And he said, I care about my child. My heart is full of love for you. He cares for you. Even in your hurt and pain. In your hurt and in your pain, God looks at you and has compassion. And He desires to be involved with your life in those moments of hardship. Not far away, but so close, the Scriptures would say, the shadow at your right hand. That's why He gave us, like for example, the book of Psalms. Over and over again, it's all these, these examples of the book of Psalms of people crying out, saying, God, why, how come, where are you? Giving voice to the fact that, man, life is tough, struggles come, hurt is real. And yet all of the Psalms are so beautiful in that they continue to remind us that God continues to work to be our refuge, to be our strength, to be close, to be drawing into and present in our pain with us. That we don't have to go through our hurt alone. But that God Himself is not afraid of our pain. He welcomes sharing our pain. And He does that because He cares. He cares about you. He not only cares, but He bears. He takes action. He does things. And He invites you to help reorient your life and your pain in light of Him. He gives us promises. He gives us a hope in a future. When we're dealing with things like death, He says, I will bring you life after death. Trust in Me. When we're dealing with things like violence, Jesus says, put away the sword. Someday there will be a place where there will be no more violence. When we're dealing with things like neglect and loneliness, Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle of heart. You'll find rest for your souls in my teachings and in my way of life. My yoke is easy to bear. The burden I give you is light. And so as life is falling apart, Jesus says, don't be afraid to do life my way. As life is hurting do life my way, Jesus says. Forgiveness, grace, self-sacrifice, 
kindness, humility, gentleness. When you're faced with, do I forgive this person or do I not for that hurt? Jesus says, I will give you the power, the ability, and the patience to forgive. When you see the violence on the news, Jesus says, look, I am bringing about a new world where I will restore life to what life should really be like. To hopeless people, Jesus will give you words to bring hope. His way of life, his yoke is easy to bear. And he's willing to bear from you your pain, your hurt, and your struggles. You do not have a heartless God. You have a selfless God. We know that because we look at Jesus. You do not have a heartless God. You have a helpful God. One who is active in trying to get your attention, trying to draw close, inviting you to be wise and smart about how you live life so that you can live life to the fullest that he intended. In the person of Jesus, we see that God doesn't snap his fingers when you become a Christian. Life doesn't become perfect. It's not like when you begin believing in God and believing in Jesus that all of a sudden there are rainbows and butterflies. You don't get a unicorn for signing up for the Christian thing. Hate to break it to you. What you get is a Savior. You get a loving, caring God who will walk with you in your hurt who will bear your burden for you and with you. Jesus promises not to fix everything, but He promises that when you bring your pain and hurt to Him, He will bring you through that hurt to a new life and new hope in Him. This is what we know. So go preach what you know. Preach it to hurting, broken people who are trapped with this idea that God doesn't care. Step into their life and preach Jesus who would care so much and so deeply He Himself would subject Himself to hurt on a cross. He would let us hurt Him in crucifixion. Because that's how deeply He loves and cares for you and this world. That's your God. That's a God we can believe and trust and have faith in. Let's close with prayer. Gracious God, in your mercy and in your grace, in your compassion for this world and for our hurts and our brokenness, you drew close in the person of Jesus Christ to clear up the confusion. You brought healing and you brought hope. You brought promises of resurrection and restoration, of life after death, of Forgiveness, where forgiveness seems impossible, of love and grace 
where there is violence and hate, you promise a new way of life. We put our faith and our trust in you. We believe in you. And we ask that you would give us the strength and the courage to share the God that we know, the God in the person of Jesus Christ, with those who are hurting around us. We ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.